Hello, Internet. Mike and Andy here. We're so glad you're with us on this fine day. We're recording on a Friday. It's cloudy. Got some rain coming in. El Nino, hopefully visiting. Um, and uh, we've got some good stuff today. We've got last week. Oh, Andy told me, by the way, he's going to fix whatever's happening on iTunes mm-hmm. where we're not uh, we're not the Lewis podcast yeah. not loading up. If, yeah. If you're if you're going to iTunes on your computer, some people aren't seeing the last few episodes I found on the podcast app, though, on my phone, everything's updating. So I, I don't have a good explanation. I wish I knew, but I'll look into it. Fix it, Andy. You got it. Fix it. That's why we pay you the big bucks, dude. Come on. And literally they pay me in giant dollar bills. And yes. Like two feet by a foot it's weird and when you open the dollar bills up it's it's do you know jesus so it's not even real dollars (laughs) um so so uh last week we had a great question from jennifer and um great feedback you guys thank you for um uh, saying that this was helpful for more than just her so we're gonna we're gonna do another question that i thought was really relevant but and then uh and then we'll see how long this takes us uh, we're going to call this person Jennifer number two. Jennifer number two wrote me several weeks back, but I just found it uh, because I had an email inbox. I didn't realize I had or at least couldn't access. So she says, I want you to know before I begin that I'm writing this out of curiosity and nothing else, which I love. I'm not judging your heart or trying to trap you, which I love. Um, I've noticed in recent meetings and maybe in prior podcasts that you refer to the Bible as inspired, yet I've not heard you use the word infallible. And uh, I took note of it, but didn't draw any conclusions because I've always wondered if that's something I personally believed. I didn't know if I believed it when things like polygamy (laughs) that I try to ignore in there. Um, And so... Uh, because I had questions, I wasn't quite sure if I was fit to use the term infallible. Um, and, and so I, I think when we, oh, and she's got a couple other parts. Uh, I heard you say that you feel that you have biblical support for women in leadership. Um, would love to hear more about that. And then on on uh, a recent podcast, you said you don't always feel like lying is a sin, which I saw your point, but for me personally, seems like a super slippery slope that I have to avoid at all costs. Uh, and then, um, so these are such good questions. And then I, I, I want to know, when are you taking the scriptures literally, figuratively? And when are you parting ways with them? Is there a method? It's not all cultural context anymore. Um, uh, I think you're going to say that you compare all things to Jesus's life and death, but so much is left untouched by that. How do you hold yourself accountable being grounded in his word, led by his spirit, not excusing yourself from it when it inconveniences or doesn't make sense to you? or your ministry, or this present age? Maybe this is the best question. What is the role of Scripture in your life, and what authority does it have in your own life? So holy cow, Jennifer number two, wow. 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 Now, when we talk about the Bible, Andy, holy moly, are there a bunch of issues to unravel? All kinds. Think about, think about, I mean, I would just think about the kind of people that are listening. So I would imagine we have some folks here the Bible was once described as the best-selling book that nobody reads. And I think that's probably true, right? I mean, I've gotten into, into people uh, conversations with people who say, man, what about all the contradictions in the Bible? And I'm like, okay, go ahead and name one. And there's nothing. Or, or you know, I, I just, I, I think that, you know, one of the problems is that people don't often read big chunks of it. They'll just read a verse or two kind of in isolation, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, um, and, and so, so I feel like there, there are folks that are listening who think they know the Bible, but don't, 
you know, who are like me, think they know the Bible, but they don't. Um, or maybe their only familiarity with the Bible is just on an Instagram post or a Twitter feed or, you know, some cool Facebook, like artsy, like I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, or I can do all things through him. It gives me strength. You know, maybe that's all the, that's all you've got because it's, quite honestly, the Bible is a very foreign, alien, strange, weird, sometimes boring collection of books, right? It's not just that, it's not just that we know we should read it, but it's when we do read it, it's weird and it's it's odd. And and then I think for a lot of people, they just don't like the the picture of God that's in there mm-hmm. in the Old Testament, or they're very confused by um, the way that that Jesus seems to emphasize one thing and Paul seems to emphasize another thing, and 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 there are just so many questions. And then and then you have all the questions about well, what about the contradictions. What about the, the, all the interpretations? What about all of the differing opinions and translations? And oh my goodness, it just seems like one big, huge, stinking mess. And it's because of that, that words like infallible have become important because there's been this big Bible war between conservatives and liberals over the last hundred years. And, and everyone agrees, not everybody, but in general, people agree that God that the claim of the scripture is that God wrote the Bible through human authors. Mm-hmm. And so very often um, liberals, and I'm using these terms as they're commonly used um, without nuance, very often liberal scholars will focus in on the human side of that equation and talk about the foibles and the agendas and the biases of the authors and the mistakes or whatever. And, and, and the conservatives will focus on the divine side of that and um, and ignore the fact that these are coming to us filtered through real persons and personalities and communities and whatever else. So you have this big Bible war, and one of the dividing lines are words like inerrant and infallible. And um, inerrant means without error, that what God wanted to say, God said. And when he said it, it's infallible. It's without mistake. It's truthful. Now, and, and Jennifer, number two, you're absolutely right. I hardly ever use the word. And I want to I get into why I don't use the word. I very specifically avoid that word because I don't think it's a helpful concept anymore. And I think it's loaded uh, and requires lots of nuance that I don't always have time to give it. So I just like to say, I believe the scriptures are inspired. I don't get into infallible and inerrant. And here's the nuance, because if I did, here's the nuance I'd have to give. Are you ready, Andy? Here's some nuance. Number one, if they are inspired and inerrant, it's in the originals, right? They're called the autographs. That's the first, like the literal copy that Luke was writing on. We don't have any of those. So if, if those are infallible, then the only, if we're going to say infallibility, the infallibility then is the exact copy that Luke wrote because we now have and and we don't have that mm-hmm. so what what good is that all we have now are thousands of copies of the Old Testament New Testament documents and in those copies we have thousands of of minor disagreements between different classes of manuscripts so so one group of manuscripts will spell a word this way or have a, a word out of order in this verse. And another group of manuscripts will have it a bit differently. These are called textual variants. 
and and they they exist in some very opposed to the Christian faith will make a huge deal out of this, but they really don't affect um, any of the major sort of believings or activities of the Christian faith because, I mean, the two big examples are the, the end of the Gospel of Mark. There will be in your English Bible a little thing that says, hey, most of our ancient and most reliable manuscripts don't have this. Or John 8, the woman caught in adultery where Jesus writes on the dirt. You know, there'll be a little thing in your English Bible that will say, hey, a lot of the ancient manuscripts don't have this. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. It just means that there's so much manuscript evidence that we can actually now, with a high degree of certainty, piece together what the original would have looked like. But even if you hold to inerrancy and infallibility, that only extends to the original documents, not the copies we have. So I don't find it hugely helpful. Yeah. Second thing uh, is um, I, I inerrant doesn't, at least just in, in infallible, it doesn't take into account um, uh, context, the, the, the um, author's worldview, the genre uh, of the book that's being written. And one of the hugest points, gang, is this. The Bible isn't a book. It's a collection of books. So a buddy of mine says it's a library of books. It's some poetry and some apocalypse and some parable and some teaching, some narrative, um, some wisdom literature in the form of proverbs, some songs, some, I mean, it's just this massive array of literature that tells a unified story in its highest, you know, at its highest levels that was fulfilled, that would put, that pointed to and was fulfilled in this Jesus of Nazareth. But when you read the Bible, the last thing you can do is read the Bible the same way for all of those different literary types. Because right. you know, Andy, when you watch Star Wars, you watch Star Wars differently than you watch a documentary that says based on true events, right? Maybe. Maybe I don't. I think you do. <laughs> I think you do. You watch Star Wars, right? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. I, I actually haven't seen the newest episode. I'm dying to see it, but I haven't had time. No, that's a lie, Andy. You've had time. You haven't made time. Th that's you've true. had. Listen, sure, yeah. no, no. Here's right, the yeah, choice yeah, you've yeah. made. Oh, I have loads of time for Mighty Ducks hockey. <laughs> I got time for that. Oh, I got oh, yeah. time for my hipster clothes. Uh -huh. But I'm, I'm dying to see Force Awakens, bro. It, it is the most significant cultural event since the advent of Pearl Jam, <laughs> and you're sitting on the sidelines saying, "Oh, wow, the ducks are great again." I mean, who, uh, Andy? You're, you're fired. My priorities are all all screwed up. You are fired. So, <laughs> man, okay, well, that just hijacked the whole Let's thing. Let's get us back. Let's get us back. So so you can't read, you don't read poetry, right, Dr. Seuss, the same way you would read the New York Times. So part of the problem when we get to the Bible is everyone wants to read it flatly. And so, you know, Jennifer number two asks, hey, um, how do you, how, when do you take it literally? When do you take it figuratively? And, and my answer is, I don't read the Bible literally. I read it literarily, meaning I read it according to the kind of literature it is. So the book of Revelation, some parts of Ezekiel and Daniel belong to a categorization of uh, literature called apocalypse. Uh, obviously not many of those being written these days, very popular in between the 400 years between the Old and New Testaments, very, very popular in some of the Jewish literature of Jesus's day, a couple of hundred years after. One of the reasons why I so disagree with the very popular um, takes on the book of Revelation is because they're read 
ignoring the conventions of apocalyptic literature and and because you have to interpret a certain kind of way um you interpret when paul writes a letter you interpret that differently than you interpret song of solomon which is uh, erotic love poetry in the old testament i mean you just and and so when i just say it's infallible well when when the psalmist talks about um uh uh that there's a canopy of water uh, that that over that, that that's the reason the sky is blue. There's this a canopy of water, and that canopy worships God. Or in the book of Job, when we well, uh, when we talk about um, ancient cosmology, the earth was resting on pillars, and so you have the above, you have the above the earth, the earth, and under the earth, and they meant that under literally under the earth, and um, and so you just go well, no, I mean that. I read it figuratively where it says to be read figuratively and I read it literally where it says to be read literally. But, um, but it's very confusing for folks who just think they can open the thing up and not care what kind of literature it is. You just read it all the same way individualistically and asking, what's this verse mean to me? No, that's not, that's actually a lower view of the Bible to just mm-hmm. read it that flat. Mm-hmm. The Bible mm-hmm. didn't come to us flat. It mm-hmm. came to us, full of mess and full of human frailty and full of the the contours and the peaks and the valleys of human faith i mean it's brilliant it's absolutely brilliant but it demands that you read it according to its own conventions make sense mm-hmm. yeah so so when you say an errant okay well first it's in the original autographs but that doesn't give me any nuance about the fact that um that some parts of the Old Testament I would read differently from other parts. You know, sometimes when it says the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro, I'm not thinking that God has pupils, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, yeah. and, I, and these are obvious and silly examples. Mm-hmm. But when you talk, when you multiply them into big, big interpretive issues, this is why there are differences of interpretation, um, is because there are different schools of thought about how you best understand the different classifications of literature in the Bible itself. Make sense? Yeah. So, um, and then lastly, and this is a huge point my buddy my buddy John Mark makes, even if the Bible were inerrant and infallible, there are no inerrant and infallible readers. Yeah. Right? right. So it's not like I, I pick up the Bible, like you're getting, you're getting it interpreted for you. Somebody interpreted it um, when they recorded it. So some parts of the Bible are heavily edited according to a specific agenda and, and you look at first and second Samuel versus first and second Chronicles and you can see how later the the folks that put together Chronicles were trying to clean up some stuff about David you're like oh well I get that um uh but you also um you also have uh the idea that when when you when the Bible's written in Aramaic and in Greek and in Hebrew Somebody had to sit and determine what English words best correspond to the Hebrew words or phrases or concepts, right? So there's another layer. And then you bring your own grid to this thing. So so none of us, right? This podcast is not infallible. The Pope is not infallible. Um, the, the Billy Graham is not infallible. I mean, take the religious, Jesus is it. And this, uh, this collection of documents um, for me is inspired and it's trustworthy and sure if you want to say it's infallible it's original great and we've got a very close approximation of the original great but it's just not a helpful word for me so that's first thing Jen that's I'm not I'm not trying to say 
I don't believe that it's trustworthy. I'm just trying to say, listen, I don't think that's a helpful word. So I just like the scriptures are inspired. I don't mean inspiring. I mean, inspired. Mm -hmm. Then you asked, hey, what about the whole lying thing? Isn't that a slippery slope? And, and yes and no, in the sense of the Bible is the kind of thing that you can use to justify anything, right? The Bible has been used to justify apartheid. It's been used to justify slavery. It's been used to justify the existence of the Ku Klux Klan. It's been used to justify domestic abuse. It's been used to justify rape. It's been, I mean, this thing has been used to justify every evil the human heart can cook up, right? So no question, there's a slippery slope. I'm just reflecting the fact that the Bible also internally reflects its own messiness. So you have these you have these um, pillars of faith, like Abraham, who turns out to be a uh, a polygamist and a guy who sells out his wife twice to save his own skin. Um, you, you have Jacob, who's a liar and a schemer and a manipulator. You've got um, Isaac, who actually sells out his wife in the same way Abraham did. You've got uh, David, who was an adulterer and a drunker and a very violent man. You've got, um, you've got greed. You've got incest. You've got rape. You've got, uh, you've got sexual sin. I mean, you've just, it is bloody and gruesome and messy. And, and oddly enough, that's one of the reasons why I trust it. This isn't a sanitized version of the people of God, but we also we also realize that this isn't that there's more mess than probably what we're comfortable with. So the same Bible that says you shall not bear false witness also shows God rewarding Egyptian midwives in the book of Exodus who are lying to Pharaoh, right? Or or when um, when the Magi are instructed by God to just avoid Herod. You know, and not do the social courtesies because Herod's going to actually, you know, find the kid, find the baby Jesus and want to kill the baby Jesus. I mean, you have examples. And, and, and so I'm just trying when I make a playful comment like, well, yeah, I, I, I don't think lying's always wrong. And I'm pointing out a couple of instances in the Bible where it's actually better to lie than it would be to tell the truth. And you can think of real life examples, right? If I if I have if I'm harboring a Christian family from ISIS, yeah. right in the Middle East, and they knock on my door and say, hey, is so-and-so here? You bet I'm going to lie. It would be morally wrong for me to just, oh, yeah, they're right here. No, I would feel obligated to lie. So all I'm trying to do is not invent a slippery slope. I'm just trying to say the Bible's messier than what we give it credit for, and that's actually one of the reasons why I trustworthy. That's, well, that's one of the reasons why I think it's trustworthy. And then lastly, let me let me um, let me say this. How much? How how far are we going? Nineteen minutes. You got Not, ten minutes. Wow. Wow. What are you doing? Oh, you're fixing my little thing. Um, all right. the The question is, um, what is the role of Scripture in your life, and what authority does it have in your life? What a beautiful question. So. What role does it have? Well, it has the role as the authority. Now, what's that mean to say that Scripture has authority? Because even that is confusing, right? Does, does that mean that Scripture is the rule book that I use to correct my behavior? Is this the, the book of doctrine that I use to correct my beliefs, to make sure I have the right beliefs? See, I don't look at the Bible that way. To me, that's a house of cards way of looking at the Bible. When you just say, hey, I take the whole Bible literally, what you're saying is if science ever disagreed with something I saw in the Bible, 
I would have to say that science is wrong, right? Because there's there's no bending in this. So so in Genesis one, where you you say, well, you've got on the face of it, it seems to say these are twenty four hour days, but then science tells us the Earth is billions of years old. How do you reconcile those things? And if you've got the house of cards view that we've talked about over the last several episodes, then uh, man, if if there's one little bit that's shown to be off, well then the whole thing crumbles. And I don't, I just don't see the scriptures that way. What I see the scriptures as, I see them as covenant documents. So this, this is the setting of, the shaping of, the leading in. This is the, this is what fills my imagination with what it means to have a relationship with God in Jesus of Nazareth. So it's more than rules and it's more than beliefs. This is this is how God shapes me into the kind of person to see the world the same way Jesus saw the world. Because remember, I didn't I don't come to the Bible just thinking it's the word of God because God just says it's the word of God. I come to the Bible compelled by the person of Jesus. So the Bible reveals Jesus in history. I come to the Bible and go, hey, this history seems trustworthy. This Jesus seems amazing. And what did Jesus, how did Jesus see the world? Well, he saw the world through the eyes of the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, and through the promise of the Spirit uh, that would come and inspire the New Testament. And so for me, I come at it through the lens of Jesus and say, okay, there are parts of it I don't like. There are parts of it I don't understand. There are parts of it I think I know, but I'm sure I don't. There are parts of it that I just go, oh my goodness, I keep getting corrected by that. But in no way, shape, or form, do I view the Bible as, as this kind of repository of truth? I view this Bible as a relational, a living, breathing, relationship-filling covenant. Um, Covenant-embedding do- set of documents that cause me, again, to be, be reminded of who God is and who I am and what God is intending for human life. And so... To me, even recognizing some of the messiness of it, it's a much higher view than the view I had, which was, you know, for years, it was just, well, yeah, of course, I, mm-hmm. I read the Bible literally. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, those parts that are literal, I read literally, mm-hmm. of course. Because if there was no mess in the Bible and then the real mess happened to us in real life, we would have no way to connect with it. Like, That's how, right. how do we reconcile all these things if I can't see some actual reality in it? If it was all scrubbed, then, I mean, we'd be in trouble anyways. It's it. And, and that, so for me... Jennifer, um, the scriptures are hugely authoritative, but they're authoritative not in the traditional ways. I don't, I don't read them to earn points. I don't read them because I'm a good Christian. I don't read them uh, to find rules. I don't read them to be proven right. I read them because through them I enter into a world that is real and sits behind this one. And, and in, in so doing, I become a different kind of person. Uh, because what I think the scriptures do, and, and a guy named N.T. Wright wrote a book, and, and I'll close with this. Uh, he wrote a book called uh, Scripture and the Authority of God. And it is an explanation of uh, a, a metaphor that N.T. Wright uses in, in one of his earlier books. I think it's New Testament and the People of God, where he says, here's how the authority of the Bible, here's one way to understand the authority of the Bible. Suppose you are a play troop and that your job is to reenact hamlet a shakespearean play and suppose hamlet was five acts i don't know if it is i don't i read it in high school i don't remember um and suppose that um you were chartered 
with you had the first four acts written directly from the pen of Shakespeare. Then you had the beginning of the fifth act and the end of the fifth act. But you were called to improvise the fifth act in between the beginning and its end. That is the authority of the scriptures. Namely, we have the record of creation. We have the record of sin entering the world. We have the record of God's working through Israel and God's working through Jesus and God's working through the spirit of God now in the church. But we now live in an era that requires us to discern. So some things in the Bible are absolutely clear. You should not commit adultery, let's say. But what about, um, what about things like in vitro fertilization? You know, what about... Uh, just war? What about um, how we handle immigration policy when there are real terrorists out there? What about uh, the use of violence? I mean, there's a great deal that we're trying to discern in the midst of those things. And, the, and, and N.T. Wright's point, I'm not doing him justice, is, is that the people who are going to improvise best are the people who've so immersed themselves in the first four acts of this play that they know how the playwright would have written the part they were in had the playwright been writing it. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, That's a really interesting picture. Yeah, it makes sense. So so in the Revelation, we get a glimpse of the end. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. in the book of Acts, we get a glimpse of the beginning. And then Paul's letters, we kind of get the glimpse of this fifth act. But now you and I are called to improvise. Now, improvise doesn't mean make up. And it doesn't mean go against what came before. Like when you improvise musically, you're staying within the flow of the music. You're not just right. doing whatever you want. Right, right. So when it comes to the Bible, we're not free to just do whatever we want. Um, what we're called to do is to be so immersed in the scriptures as they reveal the character and power of, of God in Jesus that you and I become the kinds of people who are trustworthy now to live in discern ways that bring glory and honor to God and to make Jesus beautiful. So is scripture authority? Absolutely. And so I want to be the kind of person that's so formed and so shaped by that, uh, by by that record, the library of books, that I begin to improvise in ways that bring glory and honor to God. Does that make sense? Yep. So, how, what time is it? How much time we got? Four minutes. Boom. So take that, brothers and sisters. Um, if you're exercising or get down a little early. Um, if you're napping, you've probably already fallen asleep. Um, uh, we're, well, I guess if they're napping, it means you fell asleep. Uh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Um, and I don't, I don't blame you at all. Jennifer, number two, I hope this answered your question. Um, I think we're gonna, we've got an episode coming up on world down syndrome day. We've got, uh, the Andy and his wife, my wife and I, and then another couple, we all have kids with Down syndrome. And so in honor of Down syndrome day on March 21st, um, and we'll get into why that, uh, why that's the day, um, we're going to do an episode of just talking about the joys and the struggles and the joys and the struggles of having children with special needs. And so excited for that. And then we'll um, hopefully jump back into the conversation about uh, is God anti-woman? Uh, there's a lot of stuff cooking there. So um, Facebook, Twitter, uh, go on to iTunes, subscribe. Yeah. Like us. Of course. Rate us. Yeah. If it's good. Yeah. Um, and and as always, we're super grateful to, to be a part of your life and your journey. So um, let us know how we're doing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Now listen, you got to close your eyes. 
right? So unless you're driving, got to close them right now because God does his best work when our eyes are closed. That's in the Bible. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you, be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and may he give you peace. Amen and amen. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Vox, the Mike Erie podcast. Be sure to like Mike on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash official Mike Erie. Follow Mike on Twitter and Periscope at Mike Erie for live interaction and ongoing Q&A. Don't forget to visit subversivekingdom.com for further engagement and information about Mike.